First Thessalonians 4, 9. Just by way of review, First Thessalonians is a pretty short book written by the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey. He had um, faced um, opposition all along the way on his missionary journey, and um, when he arrived in Thessalonica, he, he met some pretty great success by, by way of, of ministry, by whatever ministry standard you want to put on that. There was quite a turn to the gospel with, with quite a bit of people, and there was a very quick learning of the doctrines of Christ and, and righteous living. However, there were Jews in Thessalonica that hated him and actually ran him out, and Paul had to flee quite quickly. And most scholars think that he was only in Thessalonica a matter of weeks, um, at most a, a couple months, so he wasn't there very long. <clears throat> the opposition was so great against Paul that they actually chased him to other towns. He, found, he ended up in uh, Corinth, where he stayed for about a year and a half, where he was writing this book back to the Thessalonians, and he's writing it back to the Thessalonians because he wasn't able to get through the teaching that he wanted. And so he left pretty abruptly, and upon his departure, some of the Thessalonians thought, well, um, what's the deal with that? Maybe you weren't completely serious about your care or your concern for us. So Paul is writing to kind of defend the reason why he left, but also to encourage them in their walk with Christ because things were going really well. They were doing a lot of things right, but also to fill in some of the blanks in the teaching of righteous living and the doctrines of Christ that he wasn't able to cover because there were some some confusion about some pretty major doctrines, primarily the second coming of Christ. Um, they even thought that if they died before Christ came back, that they were lost forever, and that's not true. But you can imagine why that would be a, a reason to, to worry, and even it could change the way that you live your life if that's, if that's a fear of yours. So he's writing this to fill in some of the blanks. Um, so with that as kind of the introduction to the book, let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4. 9 through 12. It's a pretty short text we're going to look at um, this morning, but I'm excited about walking through this. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Um, two, sat, two Sundays ago, um, I had the opportunity to go to a Panthers game. Not a particular fan of the Panthers, but if I were going to pick a team, I guess they're close and they're doing well, so might as well jump on that bandwagon. Um, but my in-laws have season tickets, and uh, they, they make them available to Lauren and I. But most of their games are at 1 o'clock on Sundays. And you know, even like peeling out of the parking lot after the service, I just you still can't get there in that time. So uh, two Sundays ago, it was like an 8.30 Sunday night game. And so we drove up there, and we were going to hang out with her family leading up to the retreat. And so that, that was kind of our plan. Took, took some vacation days to get away. And um, so went to went to the game, and we stayed with some friends in the Charlotte area that have a little one that was born about the same time Evie and so Lauren, and she and the kids kind of hung out, and me and a, another friend of our of ours, he and I went to this game, and so we're sitting there way up in the nosebleeds. I mean, we are like there's an, a seat behind us, and then a drop to the parking lot, <laughs> like literally, like we're up there, and yet the fans are still screaming as if people can, like the umpire can hear, you know, the ref can hear, you know, they're like, what, what'd you say up there? Oh, you made it? Okay. Um, anyway, you know, I'm not a big pro football guy, but so we're there and I'm talking to my buddy, he's a huge sports fan, and um, he was telling me that, <clears throat> well, let me ask you, do you know how many years you have to play in the NFL to be eligible for retirement? Anybody know? <clears throat> trivia, trivia Sunday. Five years. You only have to play five years to start getting retirement, which is pretty good, you know. Um, you can't really get that anywhere else other than professional sports. Um, does anybody know the average career length in the NFL? 
year and a half? Three years. Okay. So it's not long. <laughs> um, just doing some basic study, average career for uh, professional basketball players, five, but in Major League Baseball, it, it, it leaps to six. Okay. So, you know, it, it's basically proven nowadays that athletics is so competitive that um, you're not going to make it in pro sports if you don't start when you're like in the womb. Um, you know, like you got to play kid, you got to play kid leagues and travel leagues and get a personal trainer. Um, and you just got to hit it hardcore to, to, to play at that level. But even what the crazy thing is, you know, even if you make it at that level, you're still elite. I mean, even if you're not an all-star, you're still elite for the 340 million other people that live in the United States of America. You're still considered elite to make it to that level. But even at that level, the average elite athlete um, just can't keep up. That's what that means. You can dedicate your entire life to football or to basketball or to baseball um, and maybe, maybe get, get three years. Isn't that crazy? And then, and, then you're, and then what happens, you retire because you're not good enough anymore. <laughs> that's what it is. I mean, you're not good enough because you're injured or you're not good enough because there's a guy that's two years younger, and that's all the difference. You know what I mean? And so, I mean, of course there are, you know, the Brett Favre's, the Michael Jordan's, whatever, that, that have these long careers, but that's an anomaly. I mean, a, a, a great anomaly. And so, um, and this is not a secret, but time and age brings a decreased ability to perform. We all know that, because none of us are in high school. And no? Okay. None of us are in high school anymore. And they say, you know, you're most, most athletic, you know, maybe 18 to 25, with the acceptance of distance runners. Do you know that? Where your peak is? Anybody know? Huh? Track coach, 28 to 32, you know? So if you're 28 to 32 are on your way. You still have a sport you can pursue, you know? And I'm not 28 to 32. Um, and so my athletic ability has crested, believe it or not, you know, <laughs> in spite of this physique, um, you know, my, my physical ability has, has crested. And so, um, you know, you, I mean, you could still be in shape and you could still you know, be a runner and you can still even be competitive. I mean, thanks to the glories of Facebook videos, I saw a 108 year old running a race this week, you know, and you're kind of like, but the thing is, is like you see that and like anybody could beat him, uh, but you're like, oh, good, go, good for him, you know, go, you know, and, uh, uh, and it's not, that, I mean, but it's decreased ability and it seems like time and age ultimately brings a decreased ability to do really everything. I mean, even our mental capacities, um, even on, on staff here at East Cooper, Probably about two weeks ago now, we were talking about uh, scripture memory. And there, there are some guys that are older than me, that are wiser than me, that are more godly than me, that have dedicated themselves to scripture memory. And they were saying things like, I just can't do it like I used to be able to. And these are guys that are, are disciplined in their mental capacities, and they're readers. You know, these are guys that are, are really going for it and in, in good places. Um, that there comes a time for, for all of us, whether it's our, our physical abilities or our, our intellectual abilities, where we, where we crest and we just can't keep up at the same level. And so that trajectory moves from getting better and better and better to cresting and, and just kind of getting worse and worse. And I think it even applies in the social realm that uh, you know when you get older and older, it's just harder to make new contacts, to make new, new, new connections, to make new friends. And whether there's physical disabilities that dis disallow that, you know, we're not just, there's not a, a, a massive group of, of elderly folks that are meeting every Thursday night, like, like the size we have here. We might kind of giggle at that, but that's just kind of true. You know, I think of my grandparents who uh, were sweet people and loved people, but I mean, they weren't just going out meeting new people all the time. And I mean, it's just, it was just more difficult now, knowing all of that, that that can be applied to you know, your, your physical ability, your, your intellectual ability, and even your social ability, I, I want to draw attention to that because I think that there, there's a, a, an, an aspect or facet of our life where that does not apply. All right, in the context of this text, does anybody know what that might be? 
where that trajectory can continue to go upward. What do you think? Anybody read it before this week? Love. Brotherly love specifically. First Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10 says, Now concerning brotherly love, um, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing. And so Paul is encouraging there, encouraging them there, acknowledging that this is something that you have found success in. You're doing this and you're doing it well. You're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, which was the region. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Now, brotherly love, like if we're talking about something that, that has, a, has an upward trajectory throughout the course of our life to the day that we die, let's add some definition to that. Um, I've quoted Warren Wearsby before. He uh, is in his mid to late 80s, still alive, um, held many pastoral positions over the course of his life, was a professor at Dallas Theological and Trinity, um, and is a prolific author. Um, dozens and dozens and dozens of, of books. And I, I use, I tap some of his resources here. Um, and this is what he says. Brotherly love here, first of all, um, is the word Philadelphia. You've, you've heard that Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Okay, and so that's, that's, the, uh, that's the Greek word here, which I think is interesting. So the word Philadelphia is translated brotherly love because Christians belong to the same family, and they have the same father, and they should love one another. In fact, we are taught of God to love one another. God the Father, right? Here there's, there's an expression of the Trinity here. God the Father taught us to love each other when he gave Christ to die for us on the cross. We love because he first loved us. Loved us. Excuse me. 1 John 4, 19. God the Son taught us to love one another when he said in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. And the Holy Spirit has taught us to love one another when he poured out the love of God in our hearts in Romans 5, when we have trusted Christ. So we see here um, a brotherly love like within a family. Um, how many of you would say that you have in your family a weird uncle or aunt mm. or cousin? Okay. All of them. <laughs> or <the>, all of them. <laughs> um, hopefully... Hopefully you still love them. I mean, I, I have those people. Lauren has those people. And when you get married, you get to share those people. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think from uh, personally speaking, for a long time, I've heard of the different types of love that we see referenced in the Bible. There's romantic love, brotherly love, and then love like I love Chick-fil-A love, you know, that kind of an, you love something kind of love, but um, I think that for a big part of my life, I kind of always associated brotherly love with the concept of having <clears throat> a really close friend that I love like a brother. You know, you think of that maybe there's a guy or a girl that you grew up with, and you're just kind of bosom buddies, or you just kind of did life together, and like, I love this guy like a brother. I love her like my sister. We just were really close. And that's really not ultimately what it's talking about because that's ultimately just a uh, kind of why wouldn't you love him? You know, why wouldn't you love her? You're, you're good friends. That's what you do. But this brotherly love is speaking to a broader range of saying that, hey, we're family here. And that we're not just talking about like um, people who are alike in their personality and their hobbies and they, they like to, to run distance and so they just get along. Therefore, love each other. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a family. Loving like you love your family. And when you go uh, home for Christmas or for Thanksgiving, you're likely around people who aren't like you, you know? People who have different backgrounds, different personalities. Maybe they've made bigger mistakes, or maybe they're better than you. I mean, you, you know that. Like, 
Maybe you look up to them. Maybe they're more successful. This kind of broad range. Or maybe they're just shady, you know? Um, we all have that in our family. But there's something about familial love that says uh, blood is thicker than water. And so we're going to stick together. And you know what, Uncle Weirdo? If you really get into a, a tough place that maybe you got yourself into, we're still going to be there for you, you know, if you, if you really need us in that way. Whereas if it was just Joe somebody who got himself into trouble, we, we don't feel that obligation. Does that make sense? We don't feel that connection. We don't feel that loyalty. And what we're seeing here is that there's a call for brotherly love within the body of Christ because we've always heard the illustration. We've always heard the example that we, we are family, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and there's a whole nother, another level of, of connectivity and loyalty here that ought to show itself. So when Paul says to the Thessalonians, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you because you're doing that. He's saying, good job. You're, you're loving each other well. You're doing things that, that normal people wouldn't normally do for each other. You're loving the difficult person. You're showing grace. Grace is unmerited favor, which means you don't deserve it, but I'm going to love you through it. Maybe somebody legitimately wronged you, but you're going to forgive them because Christ has forgiven you. You don't see that in the workplace. And, but then he says, but not only good job, but then do it more and more. Don't just stay here, but there is a call for you to advance in brotherly love. And I think of my, my little daughter, Evie, who is speaking. And for a two-year-old, two in a couple months-year-old, she, uh, she's, she's doing pretty good. And, and so people will tell us, well, she's speaking really well. Um, but it only applies to now. If, if she didn't move forward in her speech, then it would, it would turn from cute to, that's unfortunate, to if she's a teenager, you know, sad to there's a, there's a significant problem here, that there has to be a forward motion, there has to be an upward trajectory, there has to be growth. It's good now, it's great now, but continue. And so as believers, we're not only called to, to brotherly love, but we're called to continue in brotherly love and to grow, and to get better at it. Wearsby continues and says, how does God cause our love to increase more and more? He says this, by putting us into circumstances that force us to practice Christian love. <laughs> Meaning it's not always easy and it's not always our default. He says, love is the circulatory system of the body of Christ. But if our spiritual muscles are not exercised, the circulation can be impaired. The difficulties that we believers have with one another are opportunities for us to grow in our love. This explains why Christians who have had the most problems with each other often can grow and have great love and admiration for each other. So what Wearsby is saying here is that basically we're not going to get along all the time. That there's going to be people, even within this microcosm of the body of Christ, which is the young adult ministry, there, there are going to be people here that rub you the wrong way. That there's going to there's be people here that you might legitimately not, not, you might not like them. And people here that actually wrong you, offend you, sin against you. But we're family. And that brotherly love calls us to a higher standard of living as if this is a big family reunion. That we, that we are still looking out for each other and loving each other and then growing in our ability to do that. Even people that you might not know so well. That you're still family. John 13, 34, Jesus says this. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you and that you also are to love one another. So this is a command of Christ specifically addressing this topic of brotherly love. And by this, by this brotherly love, all people, meaning outside the family, will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another there's a theologian named Albert Barnes that died in the 1800s that said this speaking to 
this command of Christ to love each other within the body. He said that the Jew was known by his external rites, all right, meaning his traditions. So if you culturally, you were in Thessalonica and there were Jews and Gentiles or different people of different uh, occupations, you, you can know who the Jews were because of their, of their tradition and even some of the clothing that they would wear. The Jew was known by his external rites, by his uniqueness of dress, etc. The philosopher, maybe the Greek, by some other mark, he would be known by some other mark or distinction, maybe the way that he spoke or the way that he carried himself. The military man would be known by something else. But in none of these cases had love for each other been the distinguishing and the special badge by which they were known. But in the case of the Christians, they were not to be known by distinctions of wealth or learning or fame. They were not to aspire to earthly honors. They were not to adopt any special style of dress or badge, but they were called to be distinguished by tender and constant attachment to each other. That they would be known, that they would be distinguished by their love for each other. That, that, that they would be acknowledged in the public forum by the way that they interacted with each other, by the way they treated each other, by the way they took care of each other. This was to surmount all distinction of color, of country, of rank, of office, or of sect. Here they were to, they were to feel that they were on a level that had common wants, and they were redeemed by the same sacred blood, and they were going to the same heaven. They were to befriend each other in trial, be careful of each other's feelings and reputation, and to deny themselves to promote each other's welfare. Brotherly love is shown in how the body takes care of each other, not just how your friends take care of you and you take care of your friends within the body. That's the easy part. And that's the no-duh. Of, of course, I mean, it, it, it says that, I mean, even friends love each other in the pagan world, but that's not what we're talking about here. I mean, you can have deep friendships here. You can have those lifelong buddies here. You can have those people that you say, hey, you're like my brother, you're like my sister. But brotherly love is saying, hey, we have a bond here that actually brings us into the category of family. And I'll deny myself to help you in your time of need. If you would flip to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Colossians 3, 12. Speaking of brotherly love and how the believer ought to treat, how, the, how believers ought to treat each other. Paul is saying here, Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion. This is speaking within the body of Christ. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, brotherly love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. This is, this is, this is putting some meat on the bones of what it means to love each other in a brotherly love sort of way. In verse 13 here, I like that it actually says bearing with one another. What that means is you got to deal with people. It means you're bearing with them. It means that they're maybe they're being difficult, maybe they're being maybe they're just wrong in whatever situation you're dealing with, but you're bearing with them. You're showing them grace, and if you have a complaint against each other, address it and forgive each other as Christ has forgiven you. Bump to Ephesians. Close by. In the New Testament, there. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Again, Paul is speaking here. Ephesians 4, 1. He says, I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with humility and gentleness, with patience, again, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace. This is speaking to believers. 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So living a life of humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with each other in the context of the body of Christ. This is brotherly love. Uh, first, back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where we started this morning. So it says, brotherly love, ab- abide in it. But you don't, know, you don't need to be taught about that because you've been taught by the Lord. And in the second half of verse 10, it says, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. To do this more and more. You're doing a great job, but don't stay where you're at. Keep advancing. Keep excelling. Why? We're called to advance in brotherly love because it builds the body, and the body is what changes you, and the body is what changes the culture. Okay, the body of Christ. We were never called to be alone, ever. We were never called to run solo in this life. The body of Christ, the church, was established by Jesus Christ himself to be the place where you as a believer grow and to be the avenue by which God shows himself to the world. And I've said this before, but kind of one of my favorite guys right now is Russell Moore, and he says that the way that you shift a culture is by the local church acting in a godly way with an outward focus. Like there could be just junk going on in the culture and moral decline going on in the culture. And you might simply ask yourself, what do we do? How do we fight this? Where do we go from here? You know, what politicians do we need to elect in office? What, what rally do we need to attend? What legislation do we need to sign off on to, to change this thing? And ultimately what it comes down to is, is the church. That it's not up to you as a solo Christian to, to change the world. But God, it says in Ephesians, shows who he is, that the manifold wisdom of God is made known through the body of Christ. So when the body of Christ is doing what it's called to do, in brotherly love, taking care of itself, taking care of each other, the the world and the culture sees that and is drawn to that. It is through the church that the world can be, that the, the, the society can be evangelized. It's through the church that we can make a stand. So it is through the church, it is through brotherly love within the context of the body of Christ that you are changed. It is through the context of the church that you grow. It is through the context of the church that you move forward and upward in your walk with Christ. And it is through the church that the the culture is changed. So we're called to excel and advance in brotherly love because everything is at stake for you. Personally, corporately, and in the culture that you live. It's not just because this is a fun club to be in and this could be better. It's about, it's about your e- eternal soul and the soul of those that are around you and the culture and in, in the circles of influence that God has placed you in. So I'm a firm believer that everybody, whether it's intentional or not, in the course of life is going to be about something. You're, you're just going to be about something I mean, whether career, family, um, image, um, public service, we're all going to be kind of about something. And whether it's accurate or not, we probably could kind of go around the room and say, what are you most about? What do we think you're most about? Um, And this text here and and, and many other texts in the New Testament is saying that we we ought as Christians (coughs) – We ought to be about the gospel. And that sounds really great and fun and peachy. But that can be really hard to define, you know? Okay, so I agree, but I don't know what that looks like. Well, this is what it looks like. Brotherly love. We're going to be about something. We need to be about the gospel. And if God uses the body to advance the gospel in our own life, and if God uses the body to advance the gospel in the culture, in the community, in our country, and thus the world, he's calling us to this brotherly love. And if we're not advancing in brotherly love, we we can make all the connections to that we're not advancing in our walk with Christ. And that the local community, the local body that we are committed to might not be advancing in the gospel either if we are 
not as the individual members of it. So I'm not saying this to like as a, as a point of, of guilt because this is something that we all need to hear. It's what the Thessalonians need to hear and it's what we need to hear. That it's, 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 it's hard to say be about the gospel and figure out what the definition of that looks like. But it's, and, and to say we're, we're to be about brotherly love, I think, is, is easier to define that. But it's still not easy. It's, it's a whole lot more natural for us to be about our career. Because we're kind of in it every day, 50 hours a week, you know? It, it's it's kind of easy and natural for us to say we're going to just be most about family because that's a really good thing. And we're called to be about that at certain levels for, for, for sure. But as believers, there's a call in our life to be about brotherly love. Brotherly love, here are just some thoughts on how to advance in brotherly love within the context of this local body. Because that's the context here. This is not saying go out and love Christians in, in Colorado because you don't know them and you ought to because they're part of the body. This is saying, this is written to a local body, a local community in Thessalonica, saying this is how you interact with those that you're actually living life with. And this right here is that group for you. So number one, be committed to it, which I think is hand in hand with church membership. We've talked about membership on and off throughout this class, but just saying, this is where I'm gonna plant. This is where I'm going to call my home. This is the authority that I'm going to submit myself to. This, this, this is where I'm living. This is where I'm living life. Um, and be committed to it. To serve it. If you serve somebody, uh, chances are you're going to care about them more and more. We need to be around it. A lot of times people are members, but they still only come two out of every four weeks. <laughs> you know? Um, I, I, I don't know if I've shared this before and this is not an indictment I watched the Clemson game yesterday too Okay, um, our attendance goes down by the hundreds when Clemson plays isn't that crazy um, and again it's nothing you know, pointed at Clemson but I mean it's, it's a regional attraction to, to football um, by the hundreds and I'm not talking 200 Three, four, or five is, is, is kind of a standard number that we see when we, you know, and like, you know, I'm glad they won, you know. Um, and we, and, and that's not directed at all the people who aren't here right now, but we, we deal with that, all of us. Um, to grow in brotherly love, um, shared experience which is one reason why I think that doing activities and events and connect and the retreat, it builds the body. It's hard to get to know each other in the hour and 15 minutes that we have in this one class and you sit and listen to a lecture the whole time. You know, you're not, you're not interacting in here. Now there's a time and there's a place for all this and I believe there's a great calling for us to study the word of God and, and that's what we're doing with this time but this is not a time where you're, you're really getting to know each other. Which is why we, we plan these other things for those shared experiences for the sake of growing in our ability to have brotherly love, to care for each other's needs, to actually address issues for somebody that you might not know that well that rubs you the wrong way. That happens in this group. You know it and I know it, but the thing is, is it, it happens in the married groups too. <laughs> you know, over, you know, in all my years of student ministry, I feel like, you know, I work with middle school students and people are like middle schoolers. They just, you know, so many issues and problems and high school just gets, you know, bigger and college is when you kind of really go crazy, you know, but when you're in the young adult world, especially if you're single, like, I mean, that's just weird people in there. But the thing is, <laughs> the thing is, you know, is, is there's weird, uh, we're all weird at, at varying levels. Getting married doesn't make you not weird. Um, and you know, moving from middle school to high school doesn't make you, you know, not weird. And high school to college or college, you know, when you finally graduate and move into a, move into a career, um, 
that we're, we, that we're going to bump into each other. We're going to rub each other the wrong way. We're going to offend each other. We're going to sin against each other and addressing those issues, you know, staying in fellowship, you know, not running. I've had several, I don't think with anybody in here, discussions of people who have said that I, they had an issue with somebody, so they're going to take a break from the group for a little while. And it's like, I mean, I've been leading the group for two and a half years, and that's come up several times. And um, I don't know, I don't know families in the church who, same kind of thing. And it's like, it's wrong, and I'm so sorry. Um, and maybe you take a break from your family, um, but it's not what you're called to, you know? It's not what you're called. It's not, it's not what's healthy. It's not what advances brotherly love. And so, you know, I, I, I don't have any specific instance in mind that I'm, I'm addressing here, but I really do believe that if you're, if you're actually serving this group and participating in this group and committed to this group or this church as a whole um, and, and doing stuff, you're going to get offended by somebody in here, you know, and that, and that we're called to, to address that in, in brotherly love. And we're called to hear that when we're the ones at fault, to be, to be called out. Um, and I think it can really be really beautiful, honestly, because there are times when people have offended me and I've addressed it. Um, and I, I can't even think of a time where it went poorly. You know, but it was one of those like I I pretty much instantly if somebody has addressed it with me, I pretty much instantly recognize like you're right. I did I did do that. I mean, it might not have been my attention, but okay, I see why you, you thought that and like let's let's get this stuff clear. Let's get the air clear in here. And that's part of what being a body part of the body of Christ is, is showing grace, showing love, loving the unlovely. Um, in verse 11 in Ephesians 4, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 4, there's a conjunction. All right, so these first two verses are talking about brotherly love, which you're doing, so good job, and then keep doing it more and more. And then in verse 11, it says, and. So keep doing this within the body of Christ. And then there's a shift to how the believers are to act outside the body of Christ. So the end of verse 10 says, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, comma, and coordinating conjunction, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may live properly before outsiders, meaning non-believers, and be dependent on no one. There is instruction here to the growing Thessalonian church of believers and how they are to live among non-believers. And you live among non-believers. And there's instruction for us here on how we do that. And it says three things. It says live quietly. It says mind your own affairs. And it says work with your hands. So just to address each of these quickly, it says to live quietly. <clears throat> Again, Warren Wearsby says that this is to be quiet in mind and in heart, confident in the sufficiency of Christ. Quiet, to live quiet means to live quiet in mind and heart, confident in the sufficiency of Christ, meaning that we're not living life as alarmists. But what the gospel provides us is peaceful confidence, peaceful confidence in the ups and the downs of life, in, in, in tragedy, in disappointment, in being passed over at work or for not getting into school, that we are peacefully confident, not just because we're so enamored by our ability to keep on keeping on, but because of the gospel. That we have confidence in what, in what Christ has done for us on the cross, that, but that this world is not our home. And we're just passing through. You know, we're strangers and we're aliens, and this is not our final destination. You know, that final destination is where our heart is set. And if our heart is set there, then kind of come what may here, we can still live at peace. And in confidence. And that is, some, that is something that shows itself to the world. Our actions and our reactions to just life are noticed. Noticed. 
Because if you go through some sort of crap in your life, the unbelievers, if they know about it in you, they're likely going to ask themselves, what would I do in that situation? Maybe I would be furious in that situation. Or maybe I would be beside myself with guilt in that situation. Or just, or just suffer in that situation. Or just be completely lost if my career track that I thought was heading upward and onward just kind of got shut off. What would I do? How do I move forward? But the world is watching us and seeing what we're living for. Now, when the text says live quietly, mind your own affairs, what it's not saying is it's not saying that we are to uh, go into hiding. It's not saying that we're to, when it says mind your own affairs, it's not saying that we need to uh, ignore other people and their lives and and what's going on in their lives. But living quietly is being peacefully confident in the gospel. When it says, mind your own affairs, um, uh, Wearsby says, and when it says, minding your own affairs, believers, we, we Christians, who are, who are supposed to be about the Father's business in the context of family and brotherly love, do not have time or desire to meddle in the other in the affairs of others. What he's saying there, and what the Apostle Paul is saying there, is that there is a natural tendency in just human beings to get caught up in in drama, whether you're a Christian or not, to be caught up in the affairs of, of the world. Um, I mean. I know when when just when when life happens, um, and there's I mean I hear I've heard stories of people who talk about like a known affair at work, you know, um, tragic, you know, non hopefully not hopefully not believers, but like you know what I'm saying, and like it's easy just to get caught up in in stuff. Um, and, and be more enamored by the things of this world as opposed to the thing that we're most called to, which is our own affairs. So there's, there's a contrast here. Don't be caught up in the affairs of the world because you're supposed to be caught up in brotherly love. That if, if your focus and your priority is on the love of the body within the body of Christ, then it's going to blind you to just the other kind of ups and downs in the, in the headlines and the stories and the celebrities that are, are divorcing and fighting or, or whatever happens to be going on that we're just not caught up with that stuff. Wearsby says that as believers, we have to be careful in our relationships with unbelievers. This is an interesting statement. He says it requires spiritual grace and wisdom, which through the Holy Spirit we have the ability to grow in. It requires spiritual grace and wisdom to have contact without contamination Um, to have contact without contamination and to be different without being judgmental and proud. Once again, it requires spiritual grace and wisdom to have contact without contamination and to be different from the world without being judgmental and proud. Let me read to you Colossians 4, 5. It says, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders or non-believers. Make the most of every opportunity and let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Minding your own affairs because we are minding to the affairs that we're called to. So live quietly, which is peaceful confidence. Minding your own affairs, being about brotherly love. And then he says, work with your hands. Wearsby points out here that because there was some confusion about the second coming of Christ, and again, try to put yourselves in in this position. If you had a wrong understanding of the second coming of Christ, meaning, for example, if you died before he came back, that you would be lost and you you would go to hell. That's an unfortunate way to live. I mean, that would induce great fear instead of confidence. 
But what he says here is that there are some believers, because of their confusion, actually quit their jobs so that they could be more about the kingdom. But when you quit your job, you don't have money coming in, right? And so what ended up happening is they were charged with brotherly love. And so how do you love the brother who's not working, trying to be righteous, but there's confusion on what that looks like. So he might be standing up for his position, but you think, well, surely that's not what God has called us to. But we're supposed to take care of each other. And my brother in need is without work. And now his family is running out of food and money. Like, what do you do in this situation? And what Paul is saying here is you go to work. <laughs> go to work. Work with your hands. Don't be idle. Second Thessalonians, the second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. If you flip there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, addresses the issue of, of not working. He says, In the name of the Lord Jesus, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother, who means fellow Christian, who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, that we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anybody's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any one of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, quote, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Verse 11, we hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy, but they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and to earn the bread that they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. There's great nobility in work. We see that all through Scripture. We saw it in the garden before the fall. There's great nobility in work, whether you're a farmer or whether you're a day laborer or whether you're working what seems like a mundane job on an assembly line. Whether you're working in a job that you don't like, if you're working in a job that does not have a career focus, that there is great nobility and honor in working, in working with your hands. And not only that, but it enhances your reputation to non-believers, because it goes within and without the church that people look down on people who are not taking care of themselves when they could, right? We've had those discussions before. When you see people with signs, you're like, man, if they really wanted to work, they could probably get it. You know, is that true or not? I, I don't know, but you've had those discussions. And non-believers have had those discussions. So we're called to work, not only just because it's, it's noble, but because a watching world is watching us. Now, when this says live quietly, mind your own affairs, and work with your hands, this is not a comprehensive description of what your life should look like to non-believers there are just several principles that we can easily apply to our life today um, and when we're looking at first thessalonians 4 where it talks about how you behave within the body of christ and how you handle yourself outside the body of christ what this is not is this is not just several statements waving a finger saying you got to do better you got to love each other better, young adults, East Cooper Baptist Church, Christians that live in the Charleston area. You know, you're not doing that. You need to be better at forgiving. You need to be better at taking, you need to be serving better. This is not just a waving finger. Paul says, you yourselves have been taught by God about brotherly love. So Paul is not even crediting himself. He's saying, you yourselves have been taught by God, meaning that brotherly love is a work that God has initiated in your heart that can't be initiated by anybody else. The gospel, loving the gospel, calls us to keep going back to the gospel. And we all need to keep going back to the gospel. Buster's example of the leaky bucket is just, I don't know of a better example, that we, we're all leaky buckets. And the, when the bucket is filled with the knowledge and the peace and the confidence of, and, and the identity in Christ of the gospel, but through the course of life, 
the little holes and big holes just get knocked into it the course of any given day. And we can, even as believers, even as, as, as growing believers, we can find our bucket empty. And what going back to the gospel is, is just reminding us that, that we were loved first by God. And reminding us that we have been forgiven so much. And that is what enables us to forgive. Not just, hey, do better, but acknowledge the gospel so that you can get over somebody else's legitimate offense against you. That we're called to take care of each other because this is our calling on life. Not just because we can have more fun together on a retreat. But this is how God helps you grow, and this is how God shows himself. That it's not just about you, and that you can't just do these things. But when the gospel is heavy and refreshing and nourishing in your life, you're going to be a better person that shows brotherly love. You're going to do better at showing brotherly love. You're going to be quicker to forgive. You're going to be faster at showing grace, which is unmerited. To somebody who's having a bad day, at work or in relationships or with family and they spout off whatever they they do or could or should and you get the brunt of it and you can say it's not about all of this it's not about what you think of, of me but I can respond to the gospel that's not natural and we're not called to do it naturally that's the great thing we're called to do it in the name of Jesus the gospel teaches us things that we can't do by ourselves. And that's why we have to be a part of the body to keep reminding ourselves. That's why we need to be in the word. That's why you need to be in community, community groups, so that we can pursue these things. And at the end of our life, we might not be where we were at physically. We might not be where we're at uh, mentally, but that we can be far advanced in our ability to love each other. Because it's not dependent on even our minds. It's dependent on our heart and what God has done. Definitely not dependent on, on, on how physically fit we are. But to have this upward trajectory of brotherly love growing and growing and growing throughout the course of our life. Father, we, we need you to do these things. We need your help to do these things. Father, we're called to pursue them. We're called to meditate on the gospel. We're called to be in community. We're called to serve. Um, but, Father, you've written these things in our hearts, and we just ask you to help us. And, Father, may this group specifically within the body of East Cooper Baptist Church be a place that loves each other well in the name of the gospel and that people can, can come here and be refreshed and renewed and encouraged and sharpened for the sake of the kingdom. In Jesus' name.